Hey, everybody, welcome to the Daily Objective. And today we're going to be talking about the very hot topic that's on everybody's mind, Kyle Rittenhouse, and the larger theme surrounding it, which I think uh, has to do with mob justice. If you're watching the video version of this uh, podcast, you, you might notice um, I am in a new space and uh, looking for solutions, storage solutions, shelving solutions, and lighting solutions. Uh, right now, I've got my iPhone plugged into the computer using various apps and all so that I can use the iPhone camera so that I can have a light behind me because it's a very, very well lit window behind me. So if you happen to know a great, great webcam that can fight, that can compete with a giant window behind me lighting wise, please let me know. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, who I haven't paid clo very close attention to his trial, but what I have paid close attention to for quite a number of years is how the public treats cases like this. Um, going back to the George Zimmerman versus Trevon, well, versus Trevon Martin. George, uh, Trevon Martin was killed. Uh, George Zimmerman killed him. Was he guilty of murder was the question that uh, the police initially said, no, he, he, there's, not, there's no reason to make an arrest. And then, of course, uh, Twitter and the Internet and the, the, you know, the media in general learned about this case and made a very, big, a very big deal about it. And George Zimmerman was then arrested. I keep, every time I say George, obviously I'm about to say Floyd, so it's a little bit confusing. Sorry to uh, sorry for the dis many distractions uh, happening in my mind right now. Uh, he was arrested, which is right off the bat a bit of a scary sign when someone who the police said is not there's no reason to arrest, then they do arrest him because of the public outcry. But that in of itself is not necessarily a, always a bad thing because in some cases the public does need to pay attention to the police and to point out when the police did not handle something properly. So George Zimmerman was arrested. But the thing that stood out to me most then, as I've seen many times since then, is the uh, way with which Zimmerman was right away. Uh, what's the opposite of acquitted? He was indicted. What's the no? What's the opposite of acquitted? He was found guilty by the court of Twitter just right off the bat, right? Guilty, according to many people on Twitter. And of course, many people defending him as well. But when it comes to justice, when it comes to the legal system, when it comes to rule of law, we need to be very, very sober. I think that's, uh, I think that's what the um, many, many, many generations of legal scholars have worked to set up. They've worked to understand and they've worked to set up the system uh, as to where nobody's emotions are running the show. Uh, we have many checks and balances in the government, in, in the modern world, in our various countries. I often speak to the audience as though we're all in America. I do realize not everybody is, but uh, similarly in England and anywhere else with a parliament or any type of Congress, it's set up so that no one person or no mood of the people can easily manipulate the situation. But those checks and balances can only work for so long. Um, George Zimmerman, after he had his court case, after he had his trial, sorry, I don't really speak English. After he had his trial, he was found innocent. And of course, Twitter and the internet would not hear of it. They said, no, no, he's guilty. So they already, 
They assumed he was guilty of murder. They called him a racist. They assumed they had the motivations uh, behind his actions, regardless of the facts. And that is scary. So even if it had turned out that George Zimmerman was in, um, he was an, a, a relentless racist that just couldn't wait to go out, find a black kid in the street and murder him for being black. Even if that had turned out to be the case, the question would be, how did you know that in the first place, Twitter? How did you know that in the first place, CNN? And was it MSNBC or just plain NBC who doctored, famously, infamously doctored the 911 call by George Zimmerman um, where the police had asked him, or the 911 operator asked him, do you see, do you know what race this person is? And Zimmerman said, he looks black. And NBC doctored the call. So when they presented this story, it sounded like George Zimmerman is just calling 911 and saying, hello, I see a guy walking around looking kind of suspicious. He looks black. Obviously, the doctoring of that phone call was enormously dishonest. And even so, uh, I would expect adults and people engaged with public discourse to be sober about it and to take their time and to look for evidence and to be open to new evidence developing. Okay, so that was uh, Zimmerman. Um, I guess, I mean, I know there are various other instances of police killing um, unarmed black men or even armed black men where immediately the police were called racist and that the killing was said to be motivated by racism. Again, it may be true in some cases, it may be false in other cases, but if we're not looking at the actual evidence and taking our time and understanding that the people we are judging here, the people we are evaluating, they have rights, they have a life, just as I have my life and you have yours, this police officer or this person uh, who made the killing, who did the committed the, the killing, um, has the right to uh, have objective reality be the arbiter, finally, in court, with have his day in court. So uh, time and time again, I have seen, as many of you have probably seen, the public reacts emotionally and immediately projects this whole narrative on a situation like, oh, this was a racist action committed by a racist. Then uh, jumping over to Derek Chauvin, the, um, the police officer who infamously um, rested his knee on the neck of George Floyd with his hand in his pocket, looking very callous. Immediately, it was assumed this was an act of racism. To this day, I have not actually seen any affiliation of that action with racism. There's no evidence or no proof that I'm aware of other than, the, than Derek Chauvin being white and George Floyd being black. There's no, there's no further evidence in that, but apparently that was enough for a lot of people to just say, this is uh, un... I'm, I'm very bad with adjectives today, but um, this is undeniable evidence. This is undeniable proof that the entire system is racist, inherently racist, and irredeemably racist. And that gave um, inspiration for many, many people of many races around America to go out during the uh, quarantine period and be very violent, very uh, vandalous. Is that, a, is that a word? They, they were vandalizing a lot. Um, and they hurt people and they hurt people's property all in the name of fighting the oppressive racist system. Now, I could, I could understand somebody saying that the George Floyd killing was proof or strong evidence that the police are seriously out of control in America. That would be much closer to truth, I think, than to just say, we live in a racist, institutionalized racist system, and Derek Chauvin proves that. 
Um, you have to be sober. You have to actually look at evidence. And, uh, you know, then Derek Chauvin, he had his, he was arrested again, arrested after public outcry, a scary sign, but not in of itself um, a sign that we live in a corrupt system. Because again, like I said earlier, sometimes the public needs to pay attention and outcry when outcrying is warranted. So Chauvin was arrested. And of course, his trial was televised. And he was, first of all, charged with, I think, way more things than normally someone in that position would be charged with. Um, the police completely neglected him. And typically, the police protect their own in a trial. So typically, the police look out for cops. In this case, the police acted like, well, they're as outraged as everybody by what they've seen. Um, so they you know, they left him to fend for himself. And uh, Derek Chauvin was found guilty on a number of counts. I think every count, like everything he was charged with, this type of murder, that type of murder. Of course, I'm very much sort of loosely uh, recalling what took place. But what I pay closer attention to is the mood of the culture. Again, the fact that Derek Chauvin was immediately called a racist, an agent of the racist system, and then that immediately that he's guilty, like he's guilty of murder. Sometimes a terrible person can be innocent legally. Sometimes that might be the case. Don't you want to live in a world where um, the legal process is followed? Isn't that a world you want to live in for your own sake, for the sake of the people you love? One day somebody you love might accidentally kill somebody and the public might declare, okay, this was racist or this was such and such. This was motivated by such and such and they're guilty and they should be thrown in prison or, or executed. And the public should not have the ability to dictate. So, uh, of course, uh, with the Derek Chauvin, um, again, what's the opposite of acquittal? Uh, with Derek Chauvin being found guilty, um, it was very, very apparent. Again, I don't know if this is inconclusive, um, or I don't know, this may be, I should say, this may be inconclusive. But it, it looked a lot like the public uh, played a strong role in first Derek Chauvin's charges and then his being found guilty. Um, so that is a scary sign, no matter who it is, even if it's somebody that I hate, even if it's somebody that even if George Floyd was my best friend in the world, the fact that the police officer's trial was paying attention to the protesters outside or in some way uh, thinking about how will the public react to this verdict. If we find him innocent of these charges, will they then burn down the city again? That is a scary uh, situation. So this is mob justice. It is not justice. It is not objective reality ruling. It is people's mood, people's emotions, and people thinking that when they band together, they are above the law. All right. Or they are the law. Let me read a few super chats, and then we'll jump over to the current um, trial pending in the news. Regina, thank you for the two euros. Michael with 999 American says, Kyle Rittenhouse, the first teenager to get in trouble for simply taking out the trash. Even if he shouldn't have been there that night, that doesn't mean he loses his right to defend himself. Okay. Uh, then he goes on. Michael with 999 says, in our irrational culture, jurors don't care about the law. Tri trials are about storytelling. Um, that's somewhat of a blanket statement. Michael, I think there a lot, a lot, there's a lot, a lot of work that goes into selecting jurors, not only by the prosecution, but by the defense. And um, there is a science to jury selection that is quite a generalization. But yes, we do see in some very public 
court cases that the jury turns out to be not very bright. So uh, as much as I tend to push back against generalizations like yours, I, I must admit, it does seem like that is sometimes often even the case. And again, you know, that's why we're here, isn't it? We want to change the culture. We want to spread reason, individual and individually motivated reason. That is not uh, by turning to the group and surveying everybody and then seeing how the group feels and then proceeding according to that. But no, rather each individual can soberly and calmly look at reality and make an informed decision. Um, and, it, and when we don't have that, we will see irrationality transpire. We will see it emerge in uh, every place, including a courtroom. Marilyn with $5 says, she said, if I had a son, he would look like Trayvon Martin, how to format racism 101. So that was a, something that Obama said as president. He said, if I had a son, he would look like Trayvon Martin. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see somebody thinking that was a very um, ill-advised statement for Obama to make if he's not also going to say that, uh, you know, if I had a son who was being accused of murder as George Zimmerman is, I would want my son to have a fair shake, a, a day in court. You're not automatically guilty because your victim is black. All right, Corey with 1499 Australian says, seems like the left only gets passionate when they see race involved. The fact that somebody's individual rights were violated, they could not care less about. It's the racism that's paramount to them. It does seem to be the philosophy, the religion slash philosophy of the times we live in. And it's scary because it's not only people's opinion when we see actions manifest. Marilyn with $5 says, I think the autopsy showed enough fentanyl in Floyd's system to have killed him, which should have led to reasonable doubt. Dubious source, radio. I mean, I've heard the same claim. Um, look, whether or not Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd, we all hate him. That's a fairly common consensus in the world. We all hate the way he rested his knee on the neck of this private citizen. Um, but yeah, okay, whether or not he, his knee is what choked him and killed him or whether Floyd died of other causes, um, what we're dealing with is a public that turned this into much more than just a murder. <laughs> this was a murder that represents the institutional racism of the times we live in and of all of history. And when uh, that's what they believe, then of course they're gonna see themselves as agents of history, storming the streets and acting to uh, further along the, um, you know, the, I guess, correcting of the racism in history and to, and to be an agent of, of correcting what ails our society. So, I mean, listen, guys, uh, we, we do live in very irrational times. Um, that, is the, that is a fact. I would, I would say probably the court system is the best last remaining institution we have by default, I suppose. But nonetheless, uh, of everything else, I mean, the, you know, the Congress and, and the Senate looks like a complete arbitrary um, you know, lobby system at this point after 100 plus years of government and the economy being one in the same. At this point, it's all one big favor, special interest lobby system, virtually. Uh, the presidency, I think, also has largely been turned uh, away from being a, a, a sober job to being a, um, a very emotionally driven or opinion driven job. So basically, what, what, what is my point here? The courts themselves, the place where evidence is presented, where the judge is very well seasoned, 
and the jury is very carefully selected. The courtrooms, in my estimation, are the last remaining or the best remaining institution, but by default, probably, because there's still a lot of shenanigans we've, we have seen and continue to see, and a lot we probably haven't seen that uh, shows the decay of even this sacred institution that is the courts. Um, and yeah, seeing a, seeing a verdict reflect the mood outside the courtroom is a scary sign. A moral pan kick with $10 says, are anarchy and vigilantism linked? I don't think either should be encouraged. Let the police do their jobs. Yeah, that's true. Now to play uh, devil's advocate or to steel man, what, how people would respond to that. They would say, look, the police have, um, the police have neglected to do their job. Uh, you know, obviously you look at the rioting and all the civil unrest around, around America after the George Floyd killing. And at a certain point, when you see the police are standing down and they're not stopping uh, these citizens from smashing the property of those citizens, then maybe, the, uh, maybe there does come a time to pick up a gun and to go defend, either defend your property or at a certain point, I, as much as I hate, believe me, I hate to say this, maybe there is a certain point where private citizens should just start to police their own community with, you know, with arms. But this is a very, very scary state when that seems apparently necessary. And it's also a very scary situation to now be in because now you've got citizens with guns and they are beholden to no rule of law. They don't even know what the law is. They're making it up as they go. I mean, they, they loosely know it. They have property and your person are, should not be violated. That's, that's a great starting point. But the law is sensitive. The law is sensitive to people's taking it into their own hands. The law cannot withstand having that type of vigilantism. So um, now, again, I understand as much. So, OK, let, now let's talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, my understanding is he went uh, he picked up he picked up his gun. He went to a neighborhood not entirely divorced from his own. Maybe I guess I heard his father. Obviously, I'm just going off of basically what I picked up along the way. Uh, he went to a neighborhood not that far from his own and um, ended up in, in a scuffle in a conflict with two or three people and shot them, it seems, in self-defense. And uh, yeah, of course, immediately a bunch of narratives were, were projected, right? Like, oh, like the, the antagonist to Rittenhouse, they said, oh, he's, an, he's a white supremacist. He's a proud boy. He's an agent of the racist patriarchy of the racist system. He's out there looking to uh, defend the status racist quo. So of course that's BS. And of course he, just like everyone else, deserves a day in court, uh, which he of course got. Um, Marilyn with $2 says the police are often told to stand down. Yeah, absolutely. When I say the police, um, I often mean the chiefs of police, which really means the mayor, which really means, um, which really means the communities at the end of the day. I mean, okay, that's, that's a loaded statement. We don't live in a system where the average person understands here's the role of government and here's how the police should protect that. We often have people that want the police to uh, go out there and clean up victimless crimes or preventive crimes. Uh, we also have the average person in America and in the modern world wants the government to do special favors. They want to tax this guy and give it to that guy, or they want to regulate this industry and leave this one alone. 
et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we understand how the government tampers with the economy. And I think we all should know this is largely what they're elected to do. This is coming from people that are being promised special favors. So it's not that the government has gone rogue. It's not the government absolutely represents the will of one lobby or another in many lobbies. We live in, that's what a lobby system is. So when that's the view people have of government, you are going to see the police as one of the merely one of the reflections of this fakakta system. That is not a swear word, YouTube algorithm. That is Yiddish. It's a it's a manifestation of the lobby system when the police are they're standing down in the face of actual violence, but they're uh, beating the hell out of a drug dealer who wasn't hurting anybody. Uh, and I mean, there's various, various ways. I mean, call the police sometime, tell them you were assaulted and see uh, how they take their time in investigating that Virtu uh, versus tell them, you know, who, who's selling drugs out of his home. And uh, you, you'll see how quickly they turn into uh, Columbo and the, uh, I don't know, band of detectives. Yeah, Scott, in a non-super chat, uh, says they're buckling to CRT pressure. I mean, yeah, the, the philosophy and the culture is, is everywhere. It's seeping into the government. When we see Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats kneeling, dressed in African garb, you know, saying, you know, holding up the fist, they, they look like fools. And it, it's, it looks very pandery, obviously, because that's exactly what it is. Of course, um, we're going to see that manifest um, in the police actions and police policy as well. So yeah, um, from the uh, lobby system manifesting in the, in the incoherence of the police and the influence of CRT, which is to say the influence of a culture where you can be called racist when you're not, and that can ruin your life or the entire um, administration or the entire um, you know, police force can be deemed as an agent of racism when they're not, there's definitely a lot that goes into, and I mean, same with the mayor who's telling them what to do or the chiefs of police or the various lobbies influencing the police station, various powerful people who should not have that power, who believe in CRT or who in some way are using CRT, critical race theory or other race related narratives to gain power and to manipulate the system. So we do need a clear very clear understanding in the role of government. It is to protect your rights as an individual, your rights being to think, speak, and to act and own your property. Thinking and speaking and speaking go together, action and owning your property that you've produced go together. Those are your rights. Even if you're a billionaire, even if you're sending your friends out into space like Jeff Bezos, your, your rights are still untouchable. And as soon as we start to compromise on those rights, as soon as we start to say, well, rights for people who need them, you know, rights up and to a point, once you're so power, you know, once, once you're so well off, now we can start chipping away at your rights. When we go down that route, next thing you know, we're seeing um, whites put into one category and blacks into another category and police putting into a category where everybody's uh, rights are defined differently. It's a very scary thing. And uh, as I hope we can agree, this is the power of philosophy. Okay, Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, he got his day in court. It looks like he'll, if he, I don't, I'm not looking at the news right now. It looks like he'll probably be acquitted. I'm guessing based on what I've picked up. Um. 
And yeah, my my whole um, my whole thesis for the day is not really about Kyle Rittenhouse per se, and it's not even about necessarily the verdict that is about to come in. It's really about the mood of the culture. It's about the people. It's about Twitter.com. It's about the chat room. It's about the media, and it's about um, just the way the how seriously people take rule of law and uh, dual process is called due process. Due process. You know, it's controversial that the police need to read you your rights, or it was controversial at one point, like there was a killer, I think, who was uh, acquitted because the police never read him his rights. Is that correct? His name was Miranda. Is that why they call it the Miranda rights? And you might say, like, how could you acquit somebody just because of this little technicality? And that's a very fair um, issue to take with such an acquittal. But my answer would be, I would offer you that Um, the law is so important. Murder is such a serious crime, such a serious, uh, bad thing that when somebody does commit murder, I need the police to do their job properly. Anyway, um, I hope I've uh, effectively painted you a picture of how important it is that we have rule of law, that we have, um, due process, a a proper legal process that the police, of course, follow, and that we as the public follow in taking in the evidence and thinking about it and not letting a narrative just be slammed onto the the facts on the ground, that we actually look at the facts and that we be sober. Please, everybody, um, let's all take a deep breath. And, um, okay, I'm looking back. Okay, uh, at the chat room, I see much earlier, Marilyn said, convicted referring not to Kyle Rittenhouse, but to when I was searching for the word, like what's the opposite of acquittal? Um, <laughs> it's convicted. Very good. Thank, very good. You passed the test. All right, everybody. And Scott going on saying Western civilization and capitalism is deemed racist. So is objective reality. I mean, where's the lie? Where's the lie? Let me take a sip of my coffee. Um, those things are deemed as racist. And what's the uh, antidote? Reason. What is reason? Well, first, let me tell you what reason is not. It's not emotionalism. It's not primacy of consciousness. It's not mob rule. Okay, it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show where I go out of my way to piss off the Trump fans. And it's really not going out of my way. To me, these are one and the same. I'm watching Donald Trump uh, a few weeks ago or a month ago when Haiti had an earthquake. Trump said something like, Like, oh, they have AIDS, right? Like, don't let them in. They have AIDS. Am I correct? Is that what Trump said about the Haitians? They probably have AIDS. This was like a joke that I made, I don't know, 10 years ago, um, like conflating Haiti with Africa and just throwing that that feature, that very, uh, very tasteless uh, thing at them saying like, oh, they have AIDS or they need AIDS, right? Um, Look, anyone who knows me knows I'm a fan of outrageous humor. I'm a fan of artistically going there and doing that. I'm a fan of satire, you know, eat the poor. That was a satire back in, I don't know, the 1600s. Somebody wrote, eat the poor. Writing something that you don't actually believe in uh, artistically or for satire is one thing. But having people just say whatever passes through their head and that and that people treat that like reality, I think, is a very scary thing. And we have seen... Um, a very, very scary emergence of that type of uh, primacy of consciousness from people like Donald Trump. And it's a very scary thing to me uh, to see. So 
Um, you know, it's all about method. It's all about method. I think Ayn Rand saw it that way, speaking of the namesake of this network that we're trying to live up to, the Ayn Rand Center UK. Ayn Rand, people asked her, like, why don't you like libertarians? They're basically, they're basically in agreement with you, right? That's basically what she was asked. And to Ayn Rand, libertarians were nothing like her for a number of reasons. I think one of them being their methodology, how they arrived at their conclusions has nothing to do with the way Ayn Rand arrives at her, at her politics. It's all about method. I know it would be, I know shortcuts are tempting at times, but um, anyone who thinks that a good way to fight the left, to fight critical race theory, to fight the nihilism and the egalitarianism, to fight one mob is with another, that the way to fight a group of emotionalists is with another emotionalist. Anyone who thinks that uh, is not like me, does not, we are not alike. Uh, there's only one way to get there. There's only one way to fight the left and to promote liberty and individual rights. Reason. Jeff, thank you for the five Canadian dollars. I don't care what people say about you Canadians. I, I think you're all right. Marilyn with $2 says Jonathan Swift, a modest proposal. Yeah, that was, um, that was the uh, eat the poor <laughs> satire written back in the day. Okay, uh, well, final point I'll make about this whole um, saying outrageous things. When I was growing up, you know, there was all, you know, entertainers would often say crazy things. You know, you had Eminem, Marilyn Manson, all these various entertainers. And, and of course, this, this goes back to Jonathan Swift, I think. But definitely it got more extreme. Definitely in the 90s, you had a lot, a lot of artists artistically saying outrageous things. And the debate was that people were having was, can kids handle this? Can kids, kids differentiate reality from fantasy? Kids. And many people said, yeah, of course, kids can understand fantasy is not reality when they when they listen to this uh, pop music or they listen to this rap or whatever it is, or they watch this comedy uh, item. And other people said, no, no, kids are too young. They're not mature enough to understand. They might think this uh, this art is real. However, uh, today we are in a time where the adults don't seem to understand the difference between fantasy and reality. We live in a time today where the adults uh, don't actually want to take reality seriously. And um, I know, I know it, it seems counterintuitive that I'm harping on Donald Trump when he's been out of office for nearly a year and when uh, he has nothing to do with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. But um, he comes to mind. And yeah, this is a solo episode, so I'm going to bring him up. He comes to mind when I'm looking at all this primacy of consciousness in the culture. Uh, Trump, he has made the opponents of the left largely less sober in their thought, less uh, critical in their thinking, and uh, just following Donald Trump's mental ejaculations. Thank you all for joining us today. We are going to jump over to Clubhouse. Uh, thank you all for the super chats. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask uh, Rosie to give me more controversial subjects, you know, get that bank on those episodes. Thank you all for joining us today and uh, nothing else happening today on the channel. Imagine that yesterday was a busy day, right? Yesterday and Monday, there's so much happening on this channel. I really got to tell you, if you're not supporting the Ayn Rand Center UK, you are no better than the left. Of course, I'm exaggerating, but please uh, consider supporting us. And like I asked you at the top of the show, if anybody knows a great, great webcam, thank you, Kelly Desu, the non-super chat. 
um, saying nice window view. Well, I'd like to be able to keep this window exposed rather than having to install a, a shade. But the only way to have something this bright of a light behind me, I'm going to need a really good lighting or a really good webcam that competes with the light behind me. Right now, the iPhone is the only thing that comes close to doing that. And that's very inconvenient to have the iPhone plugged into the computer and set up this way. So if anybody knows a great webcam that's good quality and knows how to compete with lighting behind me, um, please take a break from trying to play judge and jury in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Take a break from your ha uh, dagger and cloak fight against the left and help me. Am I not a person? Am I not a person? Do I need to brandish a, a weapon and go out into Kenosha for you to care about my rights and well-being? Please help me out with this. Scott says it looks fine like it is. Well, Scott, if you would listen, I just explained how I needed to set up my iPhone to have it this way, but I'm just giving you a hard time. Thank you for the feedback. We appreciate it. All right, everybody. Thank you for sitting through the world-famous closing monologue filibuster. We are no, nothing else left today, which it's the exception that proves the rule. We got a lot, a lot of content on this channel. You really should consider becoming a member. And with all that being said, see you back here tomorrow for a very special daily objective. Nikos Sotirakopoulos will be interviewing Dr. Amesh Adalja, the objectivist or, or strongly, I guess, I don't know if he calls himself an objectivist, but the very good friend of objectivism doctor who is very, very prominent and has become very prominent in the era of COVID because I think studying infectious diseases is his specialty. Um, so he's, of course, very controversial. I know a lot of objectivists, a lot of uh, Friends of Liberty uh, think that Dr. Adalja is incorrect on some things. Well, here's your chance to watch, to listen, to super chat your questions or comments. And this is the way society is supposed to function through discussion, not by following a crazy orange person saying whatever passes through his head and ruining America. Not going to tell you which orange person I'm referring to because I don't want to trigger uh, the Trump fans again. Thank you all. <laughs> and for real this time, see you tomorrow on the Daily Objective.